Go with me to Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. Did I mention men's breakfast? I didn't. I knew I was forgetting something. Men's breakfast, Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. So please remember that. Men's breakfast, Sunday morning at at 8 o'clock. Isaiah 9 and 6. If you found it, say amen. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. God, I pray that you would anoint our time together. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would touch our children's classes, our juniors class, our youth class, and our grow classes, and touch our class here in the sanctuary tonight. God, I pray that your word would penetrate mind and heart. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of you. God, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'll be honest with you, I kind of miss the the prayer room setting, everybody being so close, Um, but, uh, but I'm so thankful that you're here. This season is set aside to celebrate the birth of our Savior. I'm afraid that uh, we do so much celebrating, we almost forget him. Uh, We've had a district minister's thing Monday, and we had our church Christmas thing yesterday, and we got church tonight, and we got a youth thing Thursday, and a children's thing Friday, and adult thing Saturday, and church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Last week, we had the play three nights, practice every night before that. Uh, I'm tired. Amen. I'm tired. We, we set aside this time to celebrate the birth of our Savior, but I don't want us to get so busy that we forget about him. We celebrate that Jesus came. The story of all stories, a baby born of a virgin, laying in a manger in Bethlehem, welcomed and serenaded by an angel choir, welcomed by shepherds and gifted by wise men. He was the king of all kings, the Messiah, the Lord of lords. We celebrate that he came. We know that he came. We've been shopping to prove that he came. We do, we're eating every night this week to celebrate that he came. But tonight I want to talk about why he came. Why did he leave the splendor, beauty, glory, and holiness, the wonder and perfection of heaven to come 
to the dirt and corruption, sin-filled, troubled, sorrow-filled world. Why did he come to earth? Why would he leave heaven? And why would he come here? That's the most crucial question of this whole season. If, if he merely came to teach morals and ethical values, then all that his life was about was ethics. But he came for more than just to teach morality. I want to think about first where he came from. Because if we can understand where he came from, we can understand how important it is that he came. He came from heaven. The most beautiful, amazing place possible. Streets made of gold. Walls of jasper. Someday I'm going to find out what jasper is. I say it all the time. I've never really looked into it much, but I know it's got to be good. This foundation stone, are precious stones, the gate of pearl, a sea of crystal that flows before the throne, the perpetual light of the Lamb, where there's constant praise and peace, no sorrow, no crying, no sickness, no pain, no disease. Brother Wilson calls it the land of no more. He left that place. Not because he had to. He left that place by his own choice. To come to a place where there's cursing instead of praise. Where instead of peace, there's war. There's weeping. There's sorrow. He came from a place where there's no sickness to where people are dying of devastating diseases. One of the worst things I ever have to do is when I have to go to St. Jude and visit a child. And you see hundreds of children suffering from disease, families whose their whole life are up in the air. And he left heaven to come to a place like this. Where there are extraordinary levels of mental and emotional and physical pain. Lying and stealing and cheating and murder and rape and all kinds of abuse. And he left heaven to come here. He knew that when he came he would be despised and rejected. He knew there'd be no place for him to lay his head. He knew that his, own, his very own people would hate him. That he would be hungry and thirsty and weary. And he knew all of that and yet he left heaven to come here. The Bible tells us reasons which were not why he came. In Matthew 9, 13, he said, I'm not come to call the righteous. He said, I, I didn't come down here for all the, the righteous ones that don't need anything. He said in John 3, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to judge the world. In Matthew 5, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. 
In Mark 10, he said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I didn't come to be served and waited on. He did not come for those reasons. But why did he come? Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, he came so that our kids could get presents on that day. Well, he came so we can have family get-togethers. He came so, so, uh, so that our so, so we can have programs and, and, and use that to... No, he didn't. That's not why he came. The Bible tells us the reasons why he came. John chapter number 12 and verse number 46. He said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. He said, the reason I came was to bring light into a dark world. Jesus, light in the dark world. You know, it's important, it's important that, uh, that, that we keep a perspective on what's happening in the world. I remember several years ago, I, I went into a, a depression. I was dealing with a lot of stress, and my mother died, and, and I wasn't feeling good. I was having some health issues, and I and I found that I, I found myself in a, in a dark place. And the more I tried to talk my way out of feeling that way, the worse I felt about feeling that way. I told myself all the reasons why I should be happy and why I shouldn't be discouraged. I talked, and I would tell myself, I'd drive down the road, Sister Wilson, and I would tell myself, I've got a great church, a great family, a beautiful wife, two amazing daughters. I got a nice home. I've, I've got a, a ministry that, 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 that I get to go and I get to preach. And I, and I said all the things and all the reasons why I shouldn't be depressed. And the more that I did that, Brother Stevens, the more depressed I got. Only, Brother Allen, did I feel that depression, but I also felt guilty for it. For every reason that I told myself I shouldn't feel that way made me feel worse about feeling that way. Talking about being in darkness. I remember looking at the world in that time in my life. And I struggled. Every, I never read any good stories about what was happening in the world. It was always about a bad economy and the, and the political mess. And it was, it was this war happening over there and this thing happening over there. And this crime and this murder and this trial and this. And it was... and, and and if, you, if you're not careful, you'll focus so much on all the bad stuff in the world that you'll forget to focus that Jesus is the light of the world. And the light shines in darkness. Amen. The darkness doesn't put out the light. The light illuminates the darkness. Amen. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he's the light of the world. I got to be careful to remember that, that when, you know, we, part of the problem when, and I, I say problem, part of the, you know, when, when you're, sometimes when you're preaching, you know, you, you want to get people's attention, and so you talk about all the stuff going on in the world so people will know they need the Lord. And if you're not careful, when you're studying all the bad stuff going on in the world, you forget that Jesus is the light of the world. I was listening to a preacher on a podcast today, and he was preaching in 1998, 
And it was the most negative sermon I ever heard in my life. I've never met the man. I don't know him. Uh, but, uh, but he was talking about how bad the church was and how bad this was. And, and we're not doing this and we're not doing that. And, 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 he, and, I, and I finally, I turned it off because I thought, man, I was feeling good when I started this sermon. And now I'm not feeling so good. We got to remember that no matter what's going on out there, that God's still doing great things. Amen. God is the light. He came to be light of the world. <clears throat> let, me, let, let me move on. Matthew 20 and 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to die. He came to die for sin. He came because he knew that you and I couldn't pay the price for our own sin. That try as we might. One of my favorite messages, you know, I, I, I don't know what your favorite message that I preach is. It might be whichever one's the shortest. I don't know. But my favorite message that I preach is the one about Job. If I wash myself with snow water and make myself never so clean, he said, it's like I've been plunged into a ditch. He said, if it, I, I try to wash myself and no matter what, I can't get myself clean enough. And then he says what the problem is. He said, for God is not a man that we should commit. There's no mediator. There's no, he said, neither is there any daysman or mediator between us. And Job's problem was, I can't wash myself. God's not a man. And there's no mediator to help me. Job lived in a time before Jesus came. He lived in a time when no matter what, and it's still the same way, we can't wash ourselves. But he said, God's not a man. But Jesus came and was born in a manger so that Job's problem could be addressed. That Job said, God's not a man. He, does, he doesn't know what it's like to hurt. He doesn't know what it's like to be weary. He doesn't know what it's like to be sad. He doesn't know what it's like to be let down, disappointed, betrayed. He doesn't know what it's like to, to, to suffer. But when Jesus came on this earth, he experienced everything of humanity and he solved Job's problem. Amen. He said, I came to not to minister, not to be ministered to. I didn't come to be, but I came to give my life a ransom. <clears throat> a ransom is a price for redeeming. A ransom paid for slaves. It's the price paid to liberate a slave. It is the price paid to liberate, this is what the definition says, from misery. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom, price of redemption. I am the cost that needs to be paid for them to be set free from their bondage. I'm coming to give myself as the payment to get there and out of their sin. Thank God that he came to die. Amen. It comes from the Greek word. The word ransom comes from a Greek root word that means to loosen one that's bound or to release from bonds, to set free someone that is bound with chains, to discharge them from prison, to let them go, to annul the laws that cause their bondage, and to deprive a slaveholder of the authority to keep the slave. 
That's what ransom means. He came to be a ransom. Hallelujah. He came to relieve the devil's authority to hold you. He removed Satan's authority to keep you bound by your sin. That when you repent and you get born again, the devil can't hold you anymore because he is the ransom. He paid the, I'm talking about why he came. He didn't come so we could have Santa Claus and reindeer and a, I started to say a stupid Christmas tree, but I don't say stupid in special but, uh, but we got one. We're not even going to be home on Christmas, so it's a waste of time, and don't tell I said it. He came to bring life. He didn't just come to die. He came to bring life. Him dying by itself wouldn't have been enough. But when he died, his death gave us life. John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. That is, that, that's the opposite nature of the devil and of God. The devil wants to steal. The devil wants to kill. When he comes, he's coming for a reason. When the devil comes to you and your family, he's not coming to give you pleasure and sin. He's not coming to make you happy. His end result, he wants to steal, to kill, or destroy. But when Jesus shows up, he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm glad he came to bring life. Hallelujah. I'm glad he came to bring life. And that they might have it more abundantly. That word abundant means, means to be superior in quality. He wants you to have a good life. Praise God. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to live an overcoming life. That word abundantly means over and above, more than is necessary. I like the, I, I like the word, supremely, something further. I wish I had come up with all these words. Extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, preeminence, and more remarkable. That's the kind of life he wants us to have. He does not want us bound in discouragement all the time. He does not want us to be bound by the thing. He came so we could have life more abundantly. I'm telling you, he wants his children to enjoy life. It's why he came. Amen. He came to seek for the lost. The story of Zacchaeus in the Bible is a great example of the power of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus was a notorious citizen of the land. He was the, a chief tax collector in the ancient city of Jericho. He had grown rich by overtaxing the people for the hated Roman government. As such, Zacchaeus was one of the most despised men of the entire city, a Jew working for the Romans. To the, to the population, he had sold them out. To the population, he had betrayed them and he was working for the enemy. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, 
one of the most despised and hated men in the entire city. He was infamous among the people for working for the Romans. But when he heard that Jesus was coming by, Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus. What's that kid's song we used to sing? He was a wee little man. That, that. The word, you had the words, the timing was kind of everywhere. He was a wee little man. But he climbed a tree to see Jesus. But not only did he see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. Here's a good life lesson. When you start looking for Jesus, Jesus starts seeing you. Amen. The more you start looking for him, the more he sees you. Praise God. Amen. I just started a, another Bible study tonight. Praise the Lord. I, I'm, and uh, with, with a family, and I was sitting there with the mother and the two children, and, and the little kids are taking notes. And, man, it was awesome. I loved it. It, it was the cutest thing. Their notes of the Bible study, and uh, and 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 we're talking. And I and I told him I, I made him a promise. I made him a promise that if you'll come to church, and you'll get involved in worship and let the Spirit of God move, and you'll let us preach the Word of God to you, I promise you that God will bring order to your life. Amen. I promised him because the Bible teaches it, and I can make that promise and not have to worry about it. And, uh, and, and, I, and I made that promise, but, but I, I made a point in that Bible study that when you start seeking God, God starts seeking you. Amen. When you start reaching for God, God notices you, and God begins to move in your life. Zacchaeus, when he climbed the tree to see Jesus, it did more than just help him see Jesus it made sure that Jesus also saw him. And if you want God to see where you are, you start seeking after him. Amen. I, I, started a, I started a Bible study with somebody in our church. They had been here for several years. And they told me, they told me that, uh, they said, well, they told me how many years they've been in the church. And they said, they said, Pastor, they said, I've been here X number of years and I don't know anything about the Bible. They, and, and they said, it's my fault. I hadn't gotten involved. And we started that Bible study, and I've watched, I've watched them grow. And, I've watched, and, and another thing I've watched is, is since we started the Bible study, I think they told me they've got $15,000 in raises. I'm teaching myself a Bible study every day now. You, you, I, got, I got people signing up for, you're going to want to sign up for a Bible study, aren't you? You know what happened? When that person climbed a tree to get closer to God, they see Jesus more clearly, but Jesus also sees them stepping out from the crowd. Zacchaeus could have stayed in the crowd and just blended in, but when he rose above everyone else, it didn't only affect the way he saw the Lord, it affected the way the Lord saw him. Amen. I'm doing some preaching right now. Praise God. If you want to go to another level in the Lord, if you want the Lord to see you, you step out from the crowd and start pursuing him. Praise God. Zacchaeus climbed the tree to see Jesus, and not only did he see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. 
the people of the city had an opinion of the situation. Oh, God. Lord, don't let me get sidetracked here. Lord, let me stay on point unless you want me sidetracked. Because what I'd like to say is people ought to just mind their own business. That's what I want to preach for a minute. That, that everybody has an opinion on everybody else and you ought to just be minding your own business. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens there, but, the, but, uh, but, but it's still good preaching, ain't it? Stay out of other people's business unless they invite you. And then try to stay out of it if you can. The people of the city had an opinion on the situation, Luke 19 and 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured. God, I'm trying my best to be Christmas pastor tonight. I'm trying to be jolly Christmas pastor. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. I mean, why even talk about it? What, what, what good did it do them to even mention it? It wasn't their business, was it? I'm getting off my subject. Sister Carson, pray for me. I'm getting, I'm getting off my subject. I'm, I mean, but, but what good did it do them to talk about Jesus being his act? It didn't affect them one bit. It didn't make their biscuits hotter. It didn't make their wives cooking any better to talk about it. Well, praise God. It didn't add one penny to their paycheck to talk about where Jesus went. They'd have done, they would have saved their breath if they just would quit worrying about what other people are doing. Praise God. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. You want me to tell you one takeaway I got from this verse? Jesus would, be, would rather be with sinners than gossipers. God help me. I had no plans for this, but here it is. But it's right there, isn't it? They all murmured and Jesus went with a known sinner. The other folks, they thought they were righteous, but they were gossip sinners. This man knew he was a sinner. If I'm going to be a sinner, I would like to know it at least and not have myself fooled by talking about other people to make me feel better. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. How could a holy man like Jesus spend time with a man like Zacchaeus? Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't afraid that hanging out with Zacchaeus would ruin his reputation? He was more concerned with saving Zacchaeus than he was with being the subject of their rumors. I have a friend that is a, uh, a Sunday school teacher in a denominational church. And uh, we've, we've gotten together a lot over the years. He's a, he's a good man. He's a dear friend. And uh, he always wants to know what's going on at the church. And we tell him about... He wants to know what I preach, and he wants to know what's going on. We tell him who we about baptizing people and this and that, and he, he, he's just interested in what we're doing. And he told me something one day. 
He told me one day, he said, I respect your church because your church reaches for the people that my church thinks they're too good for. And, uh, and, and a man that came to our play last week with a friend that goes to our church told the brother from our church the same thing about his church. When a church gets too good for sinners, that church ain't good enough to have revival. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why Jesus came? To seek, to look for lost people and to save lost people. Tonight, our state is executing a murderer. At least a man that was convicted of murder. On a message board post today, I saw dozens of people celebrating it. I don't know the particulars of the case. I know if it had been my family, I'd, I don't know what I'd do if it was my family that was murdered. But I know this, a man's going to hell. Unless something's happened that I don't know about. That's not a political statement. It's not intended to be a political statement. I'm just saying that Jesus came to look for lost people. He left heaven and came to a corrupted earth to suffer and die looking for sinners to save. And that's why he came. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came let me tell you, if we'll fill this church with lost people and we'll be concerned about reaching sinners, Jesus will show up here every time we come together. He shows up looking for lost people. You want to know why some churches never have revival? Because they never have lost people in the church, so Jesus doesn't show up either. Praise God. Amen. I preached revival when I was evangelist. I'd preach in churches, and I'd look in the baptistry. And if there was no water in the baptistry, I knew what kind of revival we were going to have. I preached for one that I, I was there during the day praying. I went and found the, the, usher, or the, the, the janitor closet to get the broom to sweep the cobwebs out of the baptistry. I knew right then, I'm getting a paycheck this week. I'm probably not having revival. Jesus shows up. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He shows up for lost people. And if we'll be about our Father's business and we'll reach for people, people that maybe no one else wants and no one else wants to fool with, 
people that other people have given up on and washed their hands of. But Jesus comes to seek and to save. God, I hope there's some lost people here Sunday so you'll show up too. God, I pray we have some sinners in the house on Sunday morning. I'm not afraid of them corrupting us because I know if they're here that you'll come too because you show up to seek and to save that which was lost. He came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came to hear the question from Acts 2.37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Hey, Brother Zach, can you throw verse 36 up there for me if you don't mind? Acts 2.36. I should have had it in my notes, but I'm slacking today. Because it says when they heard this, you ever wonder, well, what did they hear? What was it that got him stirred up? Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Man, I love that verse. Simon Peter is preaching, and the Bible already said there was a great multitude. And he's standing there surrounded by this multitude, and he says, you did it. You talk about a bold preacher. You talk about a man of God that wasn't afraid to tell the truth. He looked at the multitude and he said, God raised him up, that same Jesus that you crucified. You cried for him to be crucified. You wanted him to die. You did it. And now he's Lord in Christ. God help us. Listen, if you want to do me a favor, when I'm trying to preach somebody under conviction, help me preach. Amen. When we're trying to preach somebody under conviction to bring them to repentance, at least, at least be praying, God, help my pastor to reach these hearts because that's, what, that's why Jesus came. And when they, when they heard this, when they heard preaching that brings conviction, God, help us to preach conviction. God, help us. When they heard conviction preaching, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. We need the kind of preaching that pricks somebody's heart. Amen. We don't need the kind of preaching that just always pats us on the back and we turn around. Sometimes we need the Word of God to get down to the heart of the matter and prick us in the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? God, help me to be a kind of preacher that will cause someone to ask the question, what? Do I need to do? I had a guy, man, on a Sunday night, this was probably 15 years ago or so. I'm going to tell you, Sunday nights after church, when I go to bed, that's usually my most miserable time of the week. Because I lay in bed and I think about all the stuff I shouldn't have said or should have said. What could I have done different? What, 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 and, and you know, it's just, that's just, that's just the, just the way it is. And I, I, I knew Sunday night, well, I, that years ago, I knew while I was preaching, I was preaching to this one particular guy. I could see that he was under conviction. And I preached, and I tried my best to get him to the altar, and he didn't come to the altar. And I went home, and I was in bed, and I was laying there, and I was tossing and turning. And I could not, I could not get this man 
out of my mind, I kept thinking, God, what could I have said? What could I have done different? What, what could I have preached that would have, that would have got him to the altar? And about that time, my phone rang, and it was the guy's mother-in-law. And, uh, and she, said, she said his name. She said, he is under so much conviction that he doesn't want to wait till Wednesday. He wants to know if he can come to the church now. And so I said, yeah, I wasn't going to sleep anyway. And so, and so I got up, and I come over to the church, and we met in the office. And he sat in that black chair in my office. And he looked at me and said, Brother V, he said, he named the denomination he had been a part of. He said, I've been this my whole life. He said, but I know that if the Lord comes right now, I'm going to hell. He said, and I don't know what to do about it. And he said, tell me what to do, and I'll do whatever you say. And so I'm sitting there in my office, and I'm like, I've never had a Bible study this easy before. And I told him, I said, you're not the first one to ask that question. I said, and I, and I opened the Bible, and I put my finger on Acts 2.37, and I said, they asked the exact same question that you asked. What do I need to do? Tell me what to do. And I said, I'm not going to give you my denomination's answer. I'm not going to give you my answer. I'm going to read to you exactly what the Bible gave for the answer. And I took my finger and I followed. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, Pastor, can I do it now? And I said, yes, sir, we can. And we prayed a prayer of repentance. And we put that man down in the water in Jesus' name. And he lifted his hands to heaven. And I'm going to tell you that that's why Jesus came. I had a guy come here. He had been, he had been in and out of, of, of prison. He had been in and out of drugs. He had been in all kinds of violence over his life. And he came. And uh, he came to the church. And, and I think Sister Ashley was working for us at the time. And, and, and she called and she said, Pastor, there's some guy in here in the altar screaming and yelling. And, and she said, I'm here by myself. She said, are, are you close? I said, I'll be right over. And I came over, and I recognized the guy. I had talked to him several times before. And, uh, and when I came, he had, he had a crack pipe laying on the altar. He had a pack of cigarettes. He had a little bag of weed, and it was all laying on the altar. And, uh, and, and he, said, he said, I need God. He said, i got to get my life right. He said, I, I can't keep living the way I'm living. It's tearing me up. He said, I'm miserable. If something doesn't happen to me, I'm not going to make it. And I said, well, what you need is the Holy Ghost. He said, well, how do I get it? I said, well, lift your hands and ask God for it. And when he lifted his hands and asked God for it, I put my hand on his head, and in about five seconds, he was talking in tongues. It shocked him. He, he, it, it, after, after a few seconds, it was like, he's like, what just happened? I said, God filled you with the Holy Ghost. He said, now what do I need to do? I said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. He said, where's the baptistry? I said, it's back there. He got up, and I promise you, I promise you, he was going down that aisle taking his clothes off. I said, you wait a minute. I said, there's ladies back. You got to wait a minute. I said, we'll let you change your clothes when you get back there. We, 
we, we, it was all I could do to, to, to get him to put on a baptism robe. He was ready to roll. <laughs> Baptized him in Jesus' name. And God washed all that stuff away. <laughs> Woo! Because that's why he came. He didn't come to decorate a Christmas tree and have lights and go shopping and Black Friday. He came looking for sinners. And if we'll go looking for sinners, he'll show up here. Every, he's showing up right now because we're about his purpose and mission. I, I feel it right now. He moved in here because his purpose is being preached. Ooh, hallelujah. I was doing... I was, I was getting ready to do one of the Lumpkins' weddings. I don't remember if it was Josh or Daniel. I, for some reason, I'm thinking it was Josh, but, it, but, but uh, I don't remember. And uh, we were getting ready for a wedding, man. They had the, the stuff all in, and there was a denominational preacher from over around, what's that town just south of Tupelo? It's like you go down Gloucester and you go, huh? Verona, yeah, Verona. He was a, he was a denominational pastor from Verona, spirit-filled, but he had been studying the Bible, and he said, I got to be baptized in Jesus' name, uh, and, and he shows up, he, I guess he watched us online or something, he showed up, we're getting ready for a wedding, I mean, they're getting dressed, the, the hair, the pictures, and, and you know, all that stuff that comes with weddings, my favorite wedding I ever did was Ashley and Evan Grizzles. It was 16 minutes from start to finish. It was beautiful. It was my favorite wedding until I did one in my office last year that was three minutes flat. My wedding was a full hour, and that three-minute wedding, they're just as married as I am. But anyway, so I'm getting ready to do a wedding. And, I mean, people starting to show up, and, and, and here's, this, here's this pastor. He said, I got to be baptized in Jesus' name. I can't wait anymore. I said, I said well, we, we got a wedding getting ready to start. He said, if I got to wait till after the wedding, I'll just wait. And, and in the back of my mind, I thought, Lord, if you come back during this wedding and he goes to hell and I put him off, I'm not going to be able to stand it. And so, and so I said, we got time. We'll baptize you. I got him in that water and I baptized him in Jesus' name. And when he come up out of that water, he splashed and shouted and huckabucked. And he was so excited because, because the Holy Ghost met him. He knew at that moment that he was been, had been baptized the Bible way. And in the getting ready for a wedding, getting ready for a wedding, the power of God moved down in that prayer room because he comes to seek and save. I'm telling you. You say, well, I don't know how to win a soul. You just talk to him about Jesus and he'll show up. Praise God. He'll show up. Amen. I'm, stand with me. I'm, 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 I tried my best not to get off point, but I did. One last verse. 1 John 3 and 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Boy, that's a Bible study all to itself. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil.
Amen. That's why Jesus came. That's probably the only Christmas sermon I'm planning on preaching this fall. I'm planning on preaching revival every time I get up. But that's what, but that's what I was preaching tonight. It's the mission of the church. It's the purpose. It's why we're here. It's why we exist. It's why he came. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your people. God, this is such an awesome, such an awesome church that loves people. God, they love seeing people baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. They love souls, and I thank you, God. I thank you because you came. Thank you because you came to bring light into darkness. You came to destroy the works of the enemy. You came to give life more abundant. And you came to seek and to save sinners. And God, I pray that we'll be about your business. That if that's why you came, that's why we go. And so now we go into all the world teaching them and preaching the gospel. Because you came so we would go. Lord, in Jesus' name, let your anointing be on our church family. Bless them abundantly and bring us home safely back to your house on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.